Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of the podcast series, Who Not How? And fortunately, my partner is a great who of mine who's doing a big how of mine, and that is that Ben approached me about two years ago at Genius Network, Joe Polish's Genius Network, and he said, you know, that idea you have of who not how, if you ever wanted to develop it into a major market book, he said, I'd love to be the writer on that. And that's how this whole project got started. But we needed some other who's on the project. We needed a publisher who was totally excited about the project. And we needed a person who could pull all the marketing and the packaging together for the book and know how we were going to sell anywhere from 100,000 to a million books, and that was Tucker Max. So it's a four-person collaboration of who's who each do their how and then rely on the other three to actually provide their how so we can produce a big result, and each of us only has to do what we're great at. That's the only way to do it. One quick thought on that, Dan. I sent an email to you about this idea of project-based learning, Mm -hmm. but every project is an opportunity for every who involved to increase their capability. Mm -hmm. For you, it could be just increasing your vision for your future by creating new goals and then expanding, you know, increasing the who. But what's amazing is, is how your who network expands just by the setting of this goal. But I myself, as the who, in writing this book, first off, I'm getting collaboration with Tucker Max. I'm on this call with you. I get to interview people. I'm learning all about strategic. What's amazing, and I think this is the thing that people miss about getting who's involved is how much they grow and transform through each project. And that's what's happening for me is just by virtue of me writing this book and learning from you, I'm transforming as a person. So thank you. As the who, it's fun. And as a writer too. As a writer, as a thinker, I mean, I'm learning who, not how, but yeah, as a writer, as a collaborator, I mean, I'm learning how to be better at who myself, you know, stopping doing all the hows and getting more who's in my life so that I can be more effective. And so by virtue of this project, me as the who am transforming. And I think that's the thing that people miss when they think about hiring people in delegation is they mm-hmm. think that they're pushing projects down to people, almost like pushing burdens to people when really the right who's will come and it will transform their life. Yeah. In our last podcast, you mentioned kind of a mindset shift you've had since the who, not how idea you know, was presented to you, but especially the project. And you were talking about just going outside your house in Orlando, and somebody was taking care of the lawn. And you said, well, that's a collaborator. That's one one of my who's actually doing that. And the interesting thing about that is the kind of contempt that there is in what I think is essentially a lifetime how society towards people who pay other people to do things that they should be doing themselves. The emphasis of the word should should be doing there. And the other thing is that you're actually disrespecting people by paying them to do the work that you don't want. The interesting thing about this, I think that how society is under severe crises right now. And usually the how society is based on people where the one how they've spent their whole life on is becoming super credentialed especially in higher education. They have super higher education credentialed. And they think that their how is the most important how in the world. And they are the most important who's in the world because they do that how and they've spent many, many years. And I was thinking of the 2016 election, the fury 
of the losers. Mr. Trump won and, you know, Mrs. Clinton lost. But Mrs. Clinton was in that super credentialed world. And I got the distinct feeling that she thought that becoming president of the United States was a lot like becoming valedictorian of her high school class and valedictorian at Wellesley (laughs) College. That you could earn it, I guess, right? Well, not only that, it was not partying on Saturday night, but doing extra work for the professor and everything else. And the guy who threw the best parties on Saturday night comes along and wins the election. From her standpoint, I mean, if I can put myself inside of her skin and kind of look at the world, that it's hard work, that you have to put up with a lot of hard work and boring work, but eventually you'll have enough credentials to be almost declared president of the United States. Nobody studied harder, nobody put in more coursework, nobody put in more extra homework work, did extra projects and everything else. And it's only fitting that she had the highest credentials. And therefore, the election was just a mere formality before she was declared president of the United States. And then something akin to a robbery happened here because the person least deserving, least credentialed, comes along and becomes president of the United States. (laughs) But what I would say is I suspect that Donald Trump is really a master of who, not how. And Hillary Clinton is a master of how and the most how actually makes you the most important who. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump knew who he wanted to be a hero to. He knew how to speak their language. He also knew to tap into collaborative networks. He threw the best parties. He had the best fans. He has the best rallies. He certainly has the best political rally, <laughs> which are like parties. I mean, they're like parties. Yeah. I was noticing he's going to New Jersey. <laughs> I think it's the rally is either tonight or tomorrow night, but they started uh, assembling outside 36 hours before the rally comes. That's an important party when you all wait out on the street 36 hours before coming to the party. And it's in a state that's not a Republican state. It's a Democratic state. The whole thing is that people are say, well, he's had a lot of bankruptcies. And yeah, and I said, yeah, well, that for him was coursework. You know, that was like testing. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I've had two bankruptcies, and I, I just called extreme market research. I tried a particular way of doing it, and it didn't work, and I got a very firm, unambiguous report card on how I had done and everything. But I would like to just talk about appreciating the people you already have in your life as collaborators, including, most importantly, the person you're married to. Babs is my number one collaborator in life. And I have to tell you, if I only think about that three times in a day, that's a low day for me to appreciate just how much of a collaborator she is. You know, and then all the people we have at Coach, but just lots of people in life. I look at their unique ability and I said, you know, that person can do things I can't do. And I'm going to take advantage of the fact that they can do. First of all, I'm going to tell them how much I appreciate what they can do that's different from what I can do. So I think actually that's really where the who, not how mindset starts, just appreciating all the people in your life already who, in fact, are collaborating with you. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful way to look at people. One of the shifts that you're helping people have, first off, is realizing, seeing other people and their capabilities and appreciating them. And then just one of the things that you are really good at helping people realize is is that these people want to help you achieve your goals. And I think a lot of people don't realize that 
these people who are key in your life will help you go so much further than you could go on your own. <laughs> so yeah, it is beautiful just to give appreciation and gratitude for their unique skills. I mean, I myself, you know, you know, I have a wife and five kids. There's so many elements of my life that would be impossible without my wife. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, there's so many amazing collaborations that are immediately available and already happening. Yeah. And you've had in-laws that have really pitched in and you've had... There's no way I could be where I'm at successfully as a writer. Like when I was a struggling grad student, they mm -hmm. helped me financially support my dreams. Yeah. They were a huge hue in my life. What I'm noticing, as you know, Ben, I'm a political junkie. This presidential race here in 2020, we, I think we can date it that much, the year that we're actually in here, where I took a real active interest was 1952 with Dwight Eisenhower became president. Mm. So this is, how many years would that be? 48 plus 20, 68. This is my 68th year of following politics, and I've been continuous all the way through reading newspapers, watching television, you know, having discussions. And the thing that really interests me is that there's this talk about polarization, you know, and it's not just here, it's in Great Britain with the Brexit campaign, it's in Europe, it's all around. And I think it's the final crisis of the how-dominated society. And they're feeling that they're being bypassed. They're not being actually rebelled against. They're just being bypassed. That all sorts of successes being happened where people aren't following the how rules of success, step by step, becoming a more masterful hower, you know, if you'd use that. And I sense that everybody talks about the politics, but I just feel that we're in the world of the 21st century, that those who master who not how are just being rewarded in a way that the people who built their whole life on how feel is really unfair. There's an unfairness. Well, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, what you've talked about, I mean, number one, all of the how thinking is a byproduct of the industrial revolution. I mean, people were how thinkers before that, but I mean, we really got trained in how with the industrial They weren't organized. Yeah, yeah. they got organized. But what you've talked about is we've shifted already from the industrial revolution to the network economy and to the exponential technology economy and technologies and the access to who's is so abundant and the ability to collaborate and the ability to innovate because of technology and just immediate access to who's is so easy now that it does seem like the how way of thinking whether that be the academic model, whether it be the political model, or just the way that people do things, it's quickly becoming outdated and obsolete. <laughs> yeah, It's a terrible approach to success, but these people are still very angry and frustrated by those who are operating in the who world who are quickly getting exponential results and freedom. Well, and they didn't put in the class time. They didn't yeah. write the essays. You don't need to. I mean, you can go on YouTube now and shoot a video and have a million people watch it. There's yeah. millennials and Gen Z people who are exercising the who, not how principles, and you don't need all those credentials anymore to pass through the rungs. Yeah. I have a client from California, and he's probably 23, 24 years in coach, so I've seen him every quarter. And I think just from, you know, not really having the numbers in front of me on paper that he's probably done 10 times twice. So he went 10 times and he's gone another 10 times since he did it. So it's 100 times in 20 years he's gone there. He's got various businesses, but one of them is trailer parks. He installs and services and, you know, really first class type of trailer parks. 
And he'll come to strategic coach, and I learned very early that he always had a really difficult time with school. So he was out, you know, doing entrepreneurism when he was 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. He was out on the street selling something. And he comes, and as you know, there's a lot of writing when you come to Strategic Coach because I have these thinking processes and you got to write down your experiences. And very early on, I noticed that he never wrote a thing. He'd be there from nine o'clock till five o'clock. He'd never write a thing. And he'd just be sitting there while everybody else was reading and he would just be looking off into space. And then it could happen in the morning or happen in the afternoon. I'd catch his eye and he'd say, I've got my next jump, I've got my next jump, I've thought it through. And he said, I know who I'm gonna to talk to, and you know something, with this one, it's gonna be worth $5 million, and I'm not gonna do anything except talk to people about it. So he was there, and he said, you know, I have to come here because I can't do this type of thinking in any other environment. You got, you know, there's a lot of thinking going on in the room, and I really appreciate it. But he had identified what his method was, and I never hassled him about it. Um, weird enough, <laughs> personally, that I can appreciate the weirdness of other people and give them a lot of <laughs> bandwidth, you know? I mean, uh, you let them be a who. <laughs> I specialize in talented misfits, you know? This is really my key thing. But it was very interesting to me that he would have been completely rejected by the house system, any house system, he would have been rejected because he didn't do the observable hard work of doing the howling, but he just sits there and I can see his brain working. And then he always raises his finger, like the one thing, he just got the one thing that he came for today and he's fine and he'll be with me forever. I mean, he says, as long as you're here, I'm gonna come here every quarter. He says, I love being in the workshop. I love being in this environment, but he says, I can't do this type of thinking anywhere else. So in a certain sense, he's using me as a who. I'm creating an entire environment for Definitely. him that he has Definitely. nowhere else on the planet. And, you know, he's been, you know, amply repaid on his investment over the years, whatever that amount of money is that he's paid to be in strategic coach. I mean, because he invested in himself. Yeah. And you were the who he invested in. Yeah. You know, he learned from you. Yeah, so I think that what we're touching on in the book, Ben, is a fundamental seismic shift that's happening Psychologically, I think, you know, emotionally, I think certainly socially, culturally, economically, and politically. I think it's a complete seismic shift that those who are good at setting bigger and better goals, identifying the hows that are not theirs, and identifying and enrolling the whos in the bigger and better goals own the future. They own the future. To me... This book has the potential of being a revolutionary book on leadership, on team building, on collaboration. What's so brilliant about your thinking, Dan, and how simple you can dial things down is, is that through this one concept, you can pull all of these insane, for example, the ultimate leadership book. This could be the ultimate leadership book, but at the same time, it's the ultimate book about building correct teams and about setting vision. And so it all comes together and it's so simple and revolutionary. It's just so simple. Yeah. And so it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> but you're right that this is where the future is, is those who can create a vision and then enable 
other people in technology to execute on the vision, the future is theirs. And feel that their lives are being transformed by being part of the project. It's very interesting. My IP lawyer, I have a really terrific IP lawyer, and our company does in Silicon Valley. And, you know, he has done big, big IP projects for the who's who of the high tech world over the last 30 years. It was very, very interesting. I remember he was there about 10 days after Steve Jobs died. And Steve Jobs, you know, like when he died, it was like Mother Teresa dying at the Apple stores. There were vigil lights and flowers left for basically a Silicon Valley billionaire. I was talking to him about it, and he says, well, you know something? He said, I have the foggiest idea who they think they're remembering because... Personally, he says, I couldn't stand it. He was my next door neighbor for 15 years. And he said, just the worst neighbor you could possibly imagine. He says, always complaining about this, not friendly at all. But he says, I'll tell you, there's tens of thousands of people who would take a bullet to actually work for the guy and actually have the experience of being part of his innovations. So they bought onto his vision yeah. and his process. Yeah, and that's the thing you have to appreciate, that who, not how, is not about being nice. No. Not at all. It's about having a vision and enabling who's who really buy into the vision. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the emphasis on being a nice person, well, first of all, I try to be as easy to work with as possible because it just is the lubrication that makes everything easier. But I've known people who are really tough to work for, but they're exciting to work with. So, you know, I've got a lot of flexibility in terms of that. But I think that all of the ones who weren't easy to work for or work with have a transformation later in life. And they say, you know, I created an awful lot of opposition for myself. If I had just been easier to work with, I would have got a lot more collaboration. So my feeling is it doesn't make any sense. It's like you're throwing sand into the engine when you irritate people. You know, It's the power of your goals that really makes the big difference. And then, then it's the uniqueness of the assignments that you create for people that they can just use their unique house to actually create phenomenal results and you'll remember the projects all your life. I think that that, what you just described is amazing as far as unique assignments. Mm -hmm. Rather than hiring someone for a job, you're enrolling someone in a unique assignment that they've bought into because of the vision. It's clear through the impact filter and they recognize in the assignment that they are the who to do the how. They see it as a unique assignment that's tailored specifically for them Mm -hmm. and is exciting to them, both the vision and the unique assignment. And they know that that assignment they can do It will take maybe some courage. It will help develop and transform their capabilities. But I love that concept of the unique assignment. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Yeah. I think what's really great about that is I've been reading a lot about the sort of what I would say the lack of meaning in people's lives, you know. Yeah. Probably high on the list of things that give meaning to people's lives is that they're given unique assignments, you know. Mr. Hardy, should you accept this assignment? You, you know, it's, yeah. it's like Mission Impossible, you know, like yeah. you're the person for this project. I mean, that is a way to make someone feel special is that this is a unique assignment specific for you and your capabilities and your expertise. And we want you involved because you are the who for this job. And this is the vision. This is the what, this is the why, this is why it's so important, you know? And yeah, that unique special assignment makes not only your work feel meaningful, but it just immediately just 
gives you so much confidence. Well, I can think of my favorite movies, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you think of what the plot line is. It's always been someone's been either given a unique special assignment, or either right? volunteered for or created or, you know, was actually asked to take on a unique assignment. You know, that's the plot of every great movie. It's the plot of every great. I'm thinking of like Frodo Baggins, honestly, oh, Lord oh, of the Rings, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, a unique assignment, <laughs> Harry Potter. I mean, all of these blockbusters, I mean, even Save Saving Private Ryan, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is a special assignment just for you. I mean, talk about enrolling a who. Yeah, unique assignment. Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah, unique assignment. Special unique assignment. That is a cool concept. And that's a way to enroll someone, not just finding someone. First of all, if you even use that language... You know, I think <laughs> I have a special and a unique assignment for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the only one who has, I think, just the perfect abilities to actually work with others to actually achieve this bigger and better result. I mean, I mean, how much more meaning in life do you need? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're the who yeah. who is taken on what's viewed as a unique assignment, I mean, I'm thinking about myself right now in this situation and thinking this is a unique opportunity to work with Dan Sullivan on this book. And my assignment is unique, you know, and Tucker's assignment's unique, your assignment's unique, Bree Tracy's assignment is unique, and that we've all signed up in unique ways for a shared vision that's going to transform all of our futures. And so I just think, yeah, there's no one in this collaboration that's going to do my part of the assignment. My assignment is unique. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it really taps into unique ability and capability and confidence and just taps you into growth. And so it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it was very interesting. Joe Polish, our friend, uses a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon Bonaparte, by the way, if you really read about him, he was obviously an extraordinary human being. But he had an imperial guard that was 10,000. And it was 10,000 French. I guess most of them were French. They probably could have come from other places. But the inner core, I think there was about 500 of them. They had to be over six feet tall. And you figure this was 1805, 1810. To have six-footers back then was probably a big deal. But he knew them by their personal names. So he would go up and down the ranks, and he would know Ben, and he would know Tucker, and he would know Reed, and he would chat with them. Can you imagine the greatest man in the world knew your personal name? But there's a quote by Napoleon said that my whole life changed when I realized that a man would die for a blue ribbon. You know, that he would pin, you know, after a battle, that he would pin blue ribbons or whatever color ribbon it was. But he understood they felt that they had done a unique assignment. I'm really happy that you spotlighted that. You know, I was just a throwaway line that I no, it's powerful. did right there. But I see a lot of power in this concept of unique assignment. I mean, the unique assignment. I mean, there is something special there. Yeah. One thing you said about Napoleon, which is funny, I've had to learn this lesson with my kids. Often, we'll try to get our kids to do a chore or something, and I will promise them, you know, like the moon. Like, I'm like, if you do this, we'll go to a movie or something. And she's like, you realize that the only thing that they need is like, they will do this for literally a piece of gum. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and like, but not just any stick of gum though. Yeah. But I mean, I realized that like their reward is so much different than my perceived need. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like they would be so happy just for this little thing. And I, I'm thinking that they need like the sky in order to do this little thing. And they don't No, And so I just like the idea of the blue ribbon, but 
you know, connecting that to a special assignment. But now you don't even have to pay them the gum. You just have to give them a unique assignment. <laughs> yeah, the, the unique assignment, you know, I'm thinking, honestly, you could see a picture of that. Like, as oh, far yeah. as like, this is your unique assignment. I mean, that is the ultimate way to enlist the who. But I bet if you did a search of movies and just isolated the part of the movie where the plot is hatched, I bet you would have enormous verification for what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, and people rise to unique oh, assignments. Yeah. I mean, it's not just about getting a role. When you have an assignment that is a challenge, you know, and it's go slay the dragon or something, it's the assignment and the role now that it transforms you. You have to rise to that assignment. Yeah. It's not just doing a task. It's rising to a challenge and an assignment. It's It feels very powerful and noble. Well, it's really interesting because my two favorite all-time movies is uh, Casablanca with Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. And the second one is a Danish film called Babette's Feast, which was written by, she used a male name, Isaac Dennison, but her actual name was Karen Blixen. And she was a Danish woman, but a woman couldn't get published, so she used a male name for her writing. But if I talk about the Humphrey Bogart movie, is that she's a former love, and they've run into each other in Casablanca, which was basically under the influence of the Nazis during the Second World War, the French, but the French who collaborated with the bad use of the word collaborate, but collaborated with the Nazis. So he had loved her previously, and she had sort of disappeared on him, and she was there to save her husband, who was being hunted by the Nazis. So here he was. His assignment was actually to save the man who was going to take her away from him again. That's a unique assignment, you know. That's a unique assignment. And it's got so much power to it. It's got so much... I mean, I have two thoughts. One is, if you're not actually currently in a job that you feel as a unique assignment, you're probably not in your unique ability. Yeah. You know, so like... I myself, you know, I have a few unique assignments, but you know, like you have a unique assignment in multiple areas. And if you don't feel that your job is a unique assignment towards an amazing vision, then it might be the wrong job. But a thought I had is just, it really turns you into a hero. Yeah. You know, when you're doing a unique assignment, you know, like from a spiritual perspective, I know a lot of people feel like they have a purpose in life. There's a unique assignment given to them from God or from society. And it really turns your life into a heroic oh, yeah. quest. You oh, know? Yeah. So you want unique assignments for yourself and you want to give unique assignments as the leader to enable heroes and other people. Yeah, maybe life is just about trading unique assignments <laughs> I mean, in response to bigger and better goals. Yeah, I mean, if you give people a unique assignment, what you've just offered them is an opportunity to transform themselves. Oh, yeah. What you've done is you've given them a quest, just like yep. a, a special quest yep. to transform themselves and create a shared incredible reality. I mean, it's talk about a beautiful way to look at opportunities is, you know. One thing about the Danish movie. So the story is it takes place in the late 1800s. It's a very, very isolated fishing village on the coast of Denmark. And there's sort of like a religious community there. And the founder died and his two daughters who never married are going to have a party for his birthday, his 100th birthday. And this woman they hire as a kind of a cleaning woman, and then they found out she can cook as, you know, hired there. And she's having to work with them to plan for this party. And what they don't know is she's the most famous chef from the most famous restaurant 
in Paris who had to flee the city because there was a uprising in 1870. She was on the wrong side and she had to flee and she, you know, was kind of hidden away. A friend found this two sisters and she did there. And the other thing that comes out in the movie is that she just won a lottery, a big lottery in France, and she went back and got the lottery money. And she says, well, I would like to cook. And they find out that she's a good cook, not knowing who she actually was. And so she puts on this incredible dinner, just the best <laughs> dinner ever. And they invite guests from all over the countryside and everything like that. But nobody, you know, it's one of those villages where nobody will say anything good about anything else. So people are just enjoying the food, but nobody's saying anything good about it. But they transform by the food. They're transformed by the food. So they get to the end and they know she's won the lottery, the sisters, and they say, well, I guess she'll be leaving. And she says, no, I have no money. And they say, well, you won the lottery. She says, well, I spent it all on the dinner. <laughs> I hadn't seen this before, but that's all of drama and all of literature is the taking on, the assigning and the taking on of unique assignments. So I don't know if I can share my screen with you. I might be able to. Oh, it looks like I can. Can you see this gaping void image? I can. So what's interesting about this adventure career, to adventure project to yeah. What's yeah. interesting about this is, is that the higher up you go, the more you have to apply who not how. Yeah. But I like the idea, you know, if you're in the paycheck world, you're probably doing a lot of hows, you know, and you're thinking about instant money. But up the ladder you go, the more life feels like an adventure. You know, this is more like a 25-year journey, you know, like oh, yeah. this, oh, So totally. this is a project. This is like a one book project in project-based learning. And the more your vision expands, the more your hoot out network grows. Oh, yeah. And what I like about this is it's just thinking about your life in terms of adventures and unique assignments. And in this world of hows, you will never feel that way about your job. There's no meaning. You're just grabbing a paycheck. You don't have a unique assignment. You're just doing a job. And so it makes sense that you don't feel a huge sense of meaning. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought this was a very profitable podcast. I think we just got a chapter. <laughs> yeah, no. One last thought I'll share is the idea of credit. You know, like I know that, for example, in one of your podcasts with Indeed. Dean Jackson, the words who not how came and you were able to do that. And I think when you're in the who not how world, you no longer need credit for the ideas. You just want to share the right nugget or be in the right place where the right who can take it and spread it. Yeah. And so in your case, you were able to get a nugget and spread it and turn it into this amazing thing. And I don't, yeah, we can give Dean the credit. But yeah, I well, thinking, I like, always do. I always you know, do. I know, I know you always do. But what I'm saying yeah. is, is, I was just thinking in this world of abundance. I had a unique assignment for that idea. You did. You did. That, well, and I'm thinking unique assignment, whether that becomes a small book or whether it becomes a blog post, it doesn't really matter what came from it, as long as the right who captures it and uses it, you know? This is great for our mutual project, but it's also phenomenal for my free zone frontier. I know, it's a great Unique concept. assignment. Because I think of all the breakthroughs at my free zone frontier clients are doing. And in every case, they've accepted a unique assignment to create something that didn't exist before. They can only do it with another who. They can't do it by themselves. And as the entrepreneur, you're going to be giving a lot of unique assignments. Yeah. And you know, your job is to give the what and the why to the right who, and what better way to do it in the form of a unique assignment. This is fantastic. <laughs> when you said it, I knew, Dan, like it came out of your mouth and I said, no. 
the unique assignment because we talk about unique ability, unique teamwork, mm -hmm. but the unique assignment makes it so special for each who. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's really great. Wow, what a great podcast. Okay, Ben, this was time well spent. Hey, great to be well with spent. you. And thank you for letting me be a who on this project. My mind's continuing to be blown and really appreciate you, Dan. I'm getting younger when I'm, when I'm with you as well. Okay, Ben. Talk soon. Okay, bye.